Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Booyah! Hey, Kyle. What's up, John? How are you? Welcome to Investories, listeners. Well, thank Kyle. you. I appreciate that. You knew that. <laughs> Click the link. Thanks for having me. <laughs> how's, how's it going, Kyle? Good, man. Good. Sunny and warm in the Pacific Northwest today. It's it's weird. It's never that way in March. And cause cause for celebration, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's you made been, it. Spending some time outside. I even mowed my yard yesterday. It's like a month okay. early compared to what, every other year. So. It's good. That's good. Yeah. We we just get rain here now. I guess we switch weather or something. I'm okay with that. I've been a little jealous of this San Diego, San Diego weather that you got going on down there. Well, it's been rainy a lot. But um, no, I was going to say 75 hard, done, right? You finished it. Or is it today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day, man. I'm going to set this thing down and put it behind me. And uh, But, you know, I... That being said, I think a lot of it's going to come with me for hopefully for the rest of my life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's some amazing habits, good habits. And uh, yeah, it's been great, though. It's I feel I feel really good. I feel really accomplished. This was hard, which is in the name. So I knew that right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it it's man, what a feeling of accomplishment for anybody that hasn't done it yet. or don't even know what it is. Look up 75 hard. It's uh, a program created by Andy Frisella. Uh, he has a you know the first form uh, program, which is a, a website that sells supplements and also does calorie tracking, which is the same as kind of like my fitness pal. And you, but you also get a personalized coach, one on one coach. You can contact anytime. There is a, like a fifteen dollar a month cost for this, but I've been That's on that good. for like two years, and it's been amazing. Um, if you want to take control of your health, I'd definitely look into those things. What was the most difficult part of it? I'd say probably the the toughest was this really forced me to create a schedule, which I just didn't have that. You and I have talked about this even on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a schedule. I just kind of, you know, wake up and do what I want to do, roll into the office at noon and, you know, do some maintenance stuff on our properties, you know, remotely, obviously. Um, but other than that, this is, this, I have to eat 3000 calories a day. So I have to plan my meals. I have to plan my calories. I have to do two workouts a day on 75 hard. So I got to plan those in there because each of them are 45 minutes minimum. And I have to drink a gallon of water. Holy crap. That is, that right there takes planning just by itself. Cause you want to be done with it by like seven. Otherwise you're going to pee the bed, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I didn't do luckily, but I mean, it's that's, like, good. Uh, that's yeah. my next question. <laughs> so you got to be really, really kind of, um, you got to be careful about that. You got to be intentional about the way you plan your day with this thing, which is really, it almost cascades yeah. into a whole bunch of other really cool habits that you got to create. No, oh, maybe I'll do. Th- I might do this then. Next. Do it. It's great. I got. You... To, I got to run a half marathon on Sunday. Okay. Well, this will be good. So you maybe... can do. You can make. I guess your... it's outdoor. Yeah. Well, you got to do one outdoor workout, and <laughs> yeah. uh, mine. Mine was usually a, a walk with a weight vest on. You can just do a walk. You don't have to have a weight vest. And the other one was some indoor gym workout. You know, but you got to do it every day. There's no rest days. You got to follow a certain diet of your choosing. There's nothing. They don't set parameters for that. You just have to be on it. And if you fail, and if you make any concessions in the program like say you only drink three quarters of a gallon you it doesn't matter if you're on day 60 of this program you're back to day one if you wow. don't take a progress picture every day you're back to day one um, i feel you on that i, yeah. I do because i i play wordle 
and I oh, missed yeah. the day the other same, day. I got same up to, thing. I got up to 99 <laughs> exactly. and I missed the day, and I got a, so I totally get where you're coming from on that. Exact same thing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's cool. Thanks for the insight into that. Um, of course. We, we do have a guest this week, despite did our we? padding oh, we for, right, for yeah. a good 10 minutes. No, it's only three minutes. It seems longer. Um, so Katie Neeson, uh, she she's in your circle. You know her through a, a few different channels. I think you guys said you were on the Maui Mastermind together. Uh, and you've kind of come up through um, accountability groups and masterminds together. So, um, yeah, I mean, a super impressive guest, unbelievable person and just absolutely crushing it in um in the redevelopment or rejuvenation space which um was something i've i've kind of heard about and i like the sound of and didn't really know too much about it so uh yeah it's it's a it's a super interesting conversation right she's she's got so so much vision you know and mm-hmm. and i'm i'm jealous of her vision because she is hyper focused on her market which is in the type of business that she's in which is downtown revitalization and and trying to make what she described as a boarded up town ever since she was a kid into this beautiful spot. Mm-hmm. She, she has this hyper-focused vision and figured out how to make a living out of it, you know, using partnerships and some creative ways of doing her deals. And she's such a wealth of information on these types of things. And she started pretty much the same as a lot of us did with some fix and flips and some burrs and then went into small multifamily and then realized, you know, this replacing your income stuff, is a little bit more difficult and time consuming than than what was you know I guess pitched to most of us, and mm. um, she pivoted into this downtown revitalization thing, and and so many cool things came of this, and she's still right in the thick of it, doing great and and being successful with it, and uh, this is definitely one that you guys want to listen to if you've ever considered any kind of development or revitalization of your own downtown. Then she gives a lot of really good tips. I'm I'm going to take it a little bit further than that, which is. So one of the things I've wrestled with, which is what I want to do with real estate and what I want my next deal or my first big deal to look like is how do I want that to feel? And I think the passion and vision really shines through of like, what am I actually doing here? How am I contributing? Not just to your area, but like the area you're investing in. Are you contributing to it? Are you taking away? Are you adding value? Are you just becoming, we do use the term slum landlord halfway through the episode, (laughs) but, but joking aside, are you just propping up kind of bad landlording and bad kind of tenant support and, uh, you know, not actually propping up an area, but actually taking away from it. So I, I think that's, um, a universal theme that we should probably all think about as we, as we kind of deploy our money and invest in, in neighborhoods. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, it's so easy, especially for new landlords to be like, okay, I bought this place. It's cut me a little check every month, set it on autopilot and forget it. And, uh, she, she's got some, some great recommendations for, you know, she talks about, she didn't actually use this word, I don't think, but legacy is, is a really big piece. And maybe she did use it. I can't remember. But she, she did talk about, you know, generations from now, if somebody wants to tear down my building that I poured my heart and soul in for the benefit of this place, for of, of this town, uh, I'm going to haunt you for it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's passion right there. And it's vision and it's drive and, and it's very inspiring. Yeah, and it, before we jump into the episode, if you like our stuff um, and you're listening, watching on YouTube, why not like and subscribe to our channel? Uh, we really appreciate it. And like the video as well. Give us a thumbs up. It always helps. And if you're listening on um, on Apple or Spotify, why not drop us a, a, a review? Give us a, a good five stars. Keep us going. Keep us happy. 
uh, and all that good stuff. At least for Kyle's uh, sterling effort of the 74 days. So right. Uh, there's one day to go, Kyle. Yeah, one more. I'm almost there. And also follow us on uh, Instagram on Investories Pod on Instagram. And without further ado, here's the episode. All right, welcome to the podcast, Miss Katie Neeson. How are you, Katie? Awesome. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Well, we are super excited to have you. Uh, for the listeners, I've known Katie for, gosh, what's it been? A couple of years uh-huh. now, I want to say, since the very first Maui Mastermind. And uh, got an opportunity to listen to what Katie's story is over the last couple of years and how it's changed, how it began, pretty much all of it. And it's all super interesting, so we're, we're super excited to get into it. Um, Katie, uh, first of all, tell all of our listeners where you're based out of and maybe give us a, a quick once over on what your, what your business is. Awesome. So I am in Bryan, Texas, and on cue, I just had a train roll by. So maybe y'all will even <laughs> hear it in the background. I do downtown redevelopment. And in downtown Bryan, we have a ton of railroad tracks that come through, and that's just the eclectic vibe we're going for. <laughs> I actually have railroad tracks right outside my office too, so maybe they'll. Yeah, you'll, you're going to hear the same I thing from me. I don't also. have any railroad tracks. I feel really, really let down by that. Sounds you're in yeah. San Diego, so it's just sailboats in San Diego and all this sailboats fancy and stuff. concrete. Yeah. yeah, you're the you're at the end of the railroad track, so there's nowhere else to go once yeah, they no, get there. No one comes down here. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it just stops. Uh, so, so talk us about yeah. talk to us about what what that is like. Okay, you're, so you're doing downtown redevelopment, yeah, regeneration is that the right? Yeah, word? so revitalization is what we call it. But I started flipping a few years back. Quit my W two, started flipping. Love the creativity of it, and um, you know, got quit my W two job so I could have freedom and passive income, and then realized. Flipping's just a job. So I totally missed the mark on that. So we decided, you know what? We need to start buying some assets. Now, I had dabbled in rentals before for low-income housing, and I totally hated it. I hated the routine. I hated um, the client base. I hated it all. So, <laughs> so when we decided we need assets to create passive income, we kind of did some soul searching to figure out, but what assets do we actually want? And that led us to downtown because what we love about flipping is the creativity. And we wanted something that we would be proud to show people when they came to town, right? So we wanted to be like, hey, you want to see what we're doing? Yeah, let's drive by and show you. And we did that with our flip houses. And one day we're walking down Main Street and it's this old boarded up building that we had seen hundreds of times before and just something different happened and we're like wouldn't it be cool to office out of that building and so um the first thought was i'm sure that either the numbers don't work or something's wrong with it because it hasn't been renovated yet and everything else on the block has but i looked up the owner googled it found out who it was shot him an email he went to the same university that i did and he actually contacted us back and we bought the building when we got inside of it it had uh, dirt floors and all it was was this exterior walls and it was connected like you see on main street so it was the shared exterior walls a roof that the city made one of the previous owners put on because it had all rotten out and dirt floors with a cistern and so that was kind of our foray into redevelopment 
So a blank. Think, sorry, go ahead, John. Yeah, what what did that become? That, yeah. that blank canvas. So um, it's funny that you say blank canvas because I'm actually super intimidated by blank canvas. So for me, it was like four walls. So it was something to work inside of, and we turned it into a two story mixed use in that it's retail on the bottom and offices on the top and it's a long skinny kind of quintessential downtown building so we took the lowest rent space which was the one with no windows on the second floor right in the middle and then we had offices on either end and retail shops on the first floor and that was in 2016 and so we still have it and it is we had murals painted on the inside left all the brick exposed um, reused like the 1800s fire door like it's a super cool building and you still own it. Still own it. As a matter of fact, just before, so when, it was 2020 when COVID hit, right? So just before COVID hit, December, the year before of 19, we refinanced it. We got over 100% of our money back out. And so now it's like an annuity. We have no money left in the building and it pays us every month. So they don't all yeah, end like that. Dream. Yeah, wow. they don't all end like that, but that one worked out pretty good. That's amazing. And that's, you know, I guess you know, also for the listeners here, this is something that I think a lot of people can relate to, at least the desire to do what you've done, um, myself included. I love my little town, and I think that it has so much potential to just be this incredible spot on the map where, you know, a destination of sorts maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's intimidating, you know, to think. And, and for a lot of people who start in the same way that you did, which is fix and flips or even, you know, burrs, single family homes looking at these big commercial downtown buildings these are monsters you know these are these are old buildings these are buildings that have old wiring and plumbing and then not, not even to talk not even mentioning things like you have to deal with city governments mm-hmm. you know trying to deal with permits and you know uh, we've got this issue here locally where everything downtown if it gets renovated has to be structurally sound for earthquakes mm-hmm. which is outrageously expensive and just kind of ruins the underwriting how did you get over that big mental hump or was it even a big mental hump for you to switch from something like single family flips to these big commercial structures? You know, it's a good question because a lot of times fear is what gets in people's way. And people always think if I could just get through that fear, I'll be able to do whatever's in front of me. And what I learned was like dealing with fear is a way of life. It's not an obstacle to overcome, right? And so already, I've already quit my job. So I've already shown some propensity to take the leap. And I figured if I'm going to bet on someone, it might as well be myself. So when we started renovating, so when I say we, my business partner is my mom. So it's two chicks in the construction world And we GC our own projects. So that in and of itself was a little fearful. But what's nice about it is I kind of like people underestimating us. Like my favorite saying is underestimate me, that'll be fun. And so we kind of, (laughs) we kind of just make a game out of it. So we stumbled into redevelopment and, you know, you say, oh, it's a big project. I mean, it was 6,000 square foot, which is big, but not huge. It had serious uh, structural issues, so that part is true, but that's what you have an engineer for, right, to say if it can be overcome or not. The interesting thing about development is, you know, like in construction or um, in remodels, you have to have a certain skill. In redevelopment, the skill is project management. Because it's so complex, you can't know and be great at all the pieces. So it almost relieves some of that burden because no one who does redevelopment it knows all the codes for architect, fire, 
civil engineer, you know, city process, the construction, you know, management, branding, marketing, like it's all encompassing. So what you have to do is be the person who manages all of those people and get them all on the same page. And so, you know, it was, it was, we fell into it, which is unfortunate because we tried to find resources on how to do redevelopments. There really aren't any, I don't know of any podcasts. I don't know of any books. So we kind of just struggled and learned our way through it, but it was, we evolved, but it's not as scary as you think. Like it's just knowing, having self-confidence in whatever you're doing, that obstacles are going to arise just like it wouldn't a flip, just like it will in an apartment building that you own and confidence that you'll be able to solve the problem and figure out what the next step is and not worrying about figuring out what the end game is when you start. Just know you'll figure it out as you go. Jump out of that plane and build the parachute on the way down. That's where life gets fun. (laughs) I love that. Um, I do want to take it back a few steps and probably a few years, really. So 2016 was kind of your entry point into real estate. What did what was that um, kind of absorption of knowledge? What did that look like? How what kind of got the, the wheels turning and then kind of got you educated enough to be confident to leave in? Yeah. So 2016 is actually when we jumped into redevelopment. I got into, I bought my first rental property in 2006 and this is how it happened. Y'all are going to be shocked. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. (laughs) And I was, what? What I know. Have y'all heard of that book? (laughs) Um, I was working in commercial banking and read that book And a lot of things started clicking for me and it just kind of put a framework around things that I had thought, but didn't know how to verbalize. And so within reading that book, within months, I had quit my job, moved back to my hometown and bought a rental. And so that's what got us started. My first rental was a $17,000 condo. And I just wanted to prove, because I don't know if y'all have Googled Robert Kiyosaki's name, but there's some crazy stuff out there. So I didn't know if, yeah, so I didn't know if the guy was for real or not. So I needed to prove the concept to myself. So I even financed that $17,000 condo to make sure like it could cash flow and just go through the whole process, prove myself that it worked. So then in 2010 is when we were like, Hey, we want to generate cash flow. And we jumped into four plexes. Um, my real estate knowledge before that was really limited. Uh, but my business partner is my mom that I mentioned. She's been a realtor for 45 years now, Um, but she's always been the real estate side, not really the investor side. So she didn't really even have the mindset of the investor. She had lots of limiting beliefs actually from the realtor's perspective. But again, it was just that thing that like, let's just test it out small and see if it works. And once it did, we just grew from there and figured out what we hated and what we loved and really ran towards the stuff that we loved and away from the stuff that we hated. So we did not, I did not have a lot of knowledge at all. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things, like just take a chance. If it doesn't work, nothing's permanent, right? If I had done it and lost all 17,000, I didn't put my family at risk. So that was a risk I was willing to take. If I stayed in my corporate job forever, I already knew I would hate that because I was already experiencing it. And so like, to me, that seems like an unreasonable risk to be willing to stay somewhere you're at because you're comfortable with it and unwilling to test something that you actually might enjoy. So I just always try and think of action steps as just the next step down the path. It's nothing permanent. And if you don't like it, you can always pivot, redo. Or when I quit my job, I had a job. So my assumption was when I need another job, I'll be able to go and find one. Yeah. Absolutely. And and on and you touched on a good piece there, which is, you know, comfort really is the enemy of progress. And 
um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that that's my quote. Don't Google it. Because <laughs> probably not. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, if you're if you're not uncomfortable in your investing or in your business game, then you're probably doing something wrong. You know, you you really need to do something to really get the get the juices flowing, get your mind working a little bit, because that really is our most important asset is our mind. So you spent ten years in the essential essentially the residential real estate mm-hmm. game um, as an investor, not necessarily as. You weren't a redeveloper yet. So you got into the quadplex game. What did that, you know, once you got into quadplexes over the next 10 years, what did that business building look like for you? You know, what were you purchasing? What were your ultimate goals before you went into the redevelopment game? Well, you know, it was what I think a lot of people think is all I need is enough passive income to replace, you know, what my income is. And then I can leave, live free forever. But what we don't realize is that passive income is actually not a great replacement for W-2 income because so much of it needs to be reserved for things that go wrong and then it goes up and down. So you don't want to depend on it until it's a really big base. So lots of people start generating this passive income and then realize uh, this could take a really, even though you go, oh, 10 homes and then it equals, yeah, but you're not... You know, you're not accounting for all. You're not accounting for vacancies. You're not accounting for new roofs and all of that. And if you're having to live on it, you're certainly not accounting for reinvesting into the next project. And so that is, we bought those in 2010, and that's when lots of stuff was on the market in foreclosure, right? So they were all vacant and they were beat up, and we renovated them like two chicks would. And then we rented them and everyone was like, oh, they're beautiful. It's not just white walls. Like we really, they weren't fancy, but they were just above most rentals. And we loved the fixing them up and getting them rented. It was the maintenance part we didn't like. So at that point, I think we'd bought three or four, um, fourplexes in enough, you know, that was probably over an 18 month period. It happened pretty fast and realized we didn't like it. So we just sold all those to an investor and said, let's just do what we love, which is the flipping houses. And it met the income. When I realized passive income isn't going to replace active income in any reasonable amount of time, we loved the flips and it was creating pops of income and we got addicted to it. We became known for it. We were doing everything in our downtown. So for our safety net, if we flipped a house, it had to be able to be rented and at least break even as plan B. So it eliminate, it eliminated all the high end houses because they can't generate enough cash flow to break even if I have to go and rent them. So it kind of pushed us towards the downtown. At the same time, what was going on was the revitalization in downtown and those neighborhoods. And we have a big university here and we were finding out a lot of the professors and staff loved the urban living because most of them didn't grow up here or even in Texas. They came from more densely populated areas. They'd get in a car with a realtor and they'd take them to some subdivision with a cul-de-sac. And they're like, what do you think we are? Like 90? Like we don't, want to live in a cul-de-sac neighborhood and so like it just it took hold and people loved what we were doing we loved what we were doing and it was our identity which is why we stayed in it longer than we should have we knew real estate's a cycle we knew that we needed to be creating passive income but we were just you know like it was our identity so it was hard to make that shift so that's in 2016 we're like hey let's just buy one cash flowing asset a year and slowly start building passive income without having to give up all of our actual active income. And the flips were creating pops of cash that would let us invest into new projects. And then COVID happened and we realized like there was at least a two week period where we didn't know if anyone would ever buy a house again, right? Like the whole world shut down. And that's when we felt super vulnerable 
And we were like, we have got to expedite this process. So let's take the reputation that we've built, the skills that we love, and the trend that's happening, which is the revitalization of mid-sized towns across the entire country, and let's expedite creating passive income and putting deals together with some private investors, which help generate the income side. So we're able to do the passive income and the income side by side, instead of having to give up one for the other. Thank you for listening to part one of this uh, amazing interview. Uh, please reach out investoriespodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or investoriespod on Instagram. Uh, I think also the same on, on TikTok. Reach out, connect. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you, happy to get questions, and we'd love to get you on the show if you want to come on and discuss uh, any questions you have or anything you're thinking about or any tactics or strategies. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Tuesday Techers, where we're going to dive into the kind of techniques and the strategies and that side of things. So uh, looking forward to connecting with you all tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.